There are tons and tons of famous ands that you all know well. Bacon and eggs. Cats and dogs. Cut and paste, right? Tons and tons of famous ands. So when you hear the name David, what do you think? David and Goliath, right? That's, that's the one that we know most of all. So if you were here with us last time, we started on the fall topic of Psalm 139 and David's life. But today we're going to take a little detour and we're just going to talk about 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. Because that's the one that's so well known and it's so important for who David is. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. Alright, so as you turn, I just want to give you a quick recap of where we are in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, if, if you've been following our reading plan online this fall, you'll be in this book, and you'll be going along with us, uh, 1 Samuel 17. And so, what's happened so far in this book is, the people of Israel want a king. Now, God, when He took the people of Israel out of Egypt, said that He would be their king, so that He would fight their battles, but the people of Israel basically said, uh, we want our own king. We want somebody that, you know, we can choose. So they choose a guy named Saul. Saul's a head taller than everybody else. He looks really good. He looks like a warrior. And that's who they choose. But what ends up happening is Saul is not the king they actually want. For example, they all go together to announce that he's king and he hides. He hides behind the baggage is what it says. And then later on, he doesn't trust the Lord when it comes to fighting other, other, other people. So... We say, okay, who's going to be the king? And they're all asking this question, who's going to fight our battles for us? And you see in this chapter in 1 Samuel 17 that God answers who's going to fight their battles. Now, none of us are fighting battles like in 1 Samuel 17, right? There's not a big Goliath that's waiting for you tomorrow, right? But there are battles that we're in. We have school. We have different things that are going on that feel really hard depression, anxiety. We have things that feel huge and that are huge in our life. What are we going to do? Where am I going to go to college? You know, what does school look like during this COVID thing? All those things, right? Big giants. And so as ancient Israel is asking the question, who's going to fight for us with a real physical giant named Goliath? What I want to say is we also have these things in our lives that we're asking that same question. It might look a little different, but we're still asking the question, who's going to fight for us? So this is a very long chapter, and so I'm going to break it down into three sections. So the first section is verses uh, 1 through 18. So let me read it for us. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokoth, which belonged to Judah, and encamped between Sokoth and Azekah and Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head 
weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of the three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. And take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token for them. Alright, so that's our first little section. So what do we see, right? We see the Israelites gathered for battle with the Philistines. And the way it's described is there's Philistines on this mountain, Israelites on this mountain, and this huge valley between them. And every day for 40 days, this huge Philistine comes out, right? The height is estimated to be maybe 9'9", nine, nine, right? He's huge. He's taller than everybody that we've ever seen, that I've ever seen, that any of the Israelites had ever seen. And the coat of bronze weighs about 125 pounds. This is serious stuff. Just the tip of his spear itself weighs 15 pounds, and it's going to be taller than he is. So he's basically armed to the teeth. He's the biggest, baddest person you've ever seen. And he says, Israel, I defy you. Send out anybody. Send out a champion. And if we win, then you're our servants. And if you win, fat chance of that. But if you win, then, you know, we'll be your servants. And so Israel has a big problem, right? Every day, morning and evening, this guy comes out and lays his ultimatum down. Now, the Israelites are asking the question, who's going to fight for us? And you think it would be Saul, right? You think it would be their king. He's a head taller than everybody else, right? He's the person who's supposed to do battle for them. But Saul's not going out there. The other Israelites aren't going out there. They're scared. And so who's going to go out there? Now, you know how the story goes, so you know it's David. But when you read this about David, it doesn't sound like he's the one to go. What's he doing, right? He's with his sheep. He's feeding his sheep. He's going back and forth. You know, he's, he's wheeling the cheese to his brothers and the commander, right? He's just taking stuff back and forth. He doesn't seem like the person you'd expect. And so what we see is that the king who fights for us is unexpected. He is not who you'd think, right? The king who fits our, or who, who fights for us doesn't fit our expectations of who he's going to be, and it doesn't make sense given the odds, right? The youngest of eight brothers, who's a shepherd boy, who brings things back and forth to the army against a 9-9 Goliath armed to the teeth, right? The king who fights for us is very unexpected, and the odds we don't think are going to work out. So I had the chance to take a, a class where the professor gave what she called a monster final. In every one of her classes, it was called the monster. It was 12 hours. 
was on a Saturday. You had from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. to take this test, okay? So, good question. There was a lot of questions, but they were all A, B, C, D. They all had many, many parts. Okay, now imagine going into taking this test. Even though I sat through the class, I was still nervous, right? I was still apprehensive, even though I was prepared. Well, imagine somebody walking in who hasn't taken any of the class and says, yeah, I'll take this test. This is what it looks like in this passage. We have a guy who's armed to the teeth, who's 9'9", who knows what it's like to do battle. Later on, we'll read that he's been doing battle since his youth. And then we have David, this youth, who we've seen anointed king, but he hasn't done anything. He hasn't said anything. We don't know anything about him. This is really unexpected. And so we have this unexpected king in David. Then we have the next section, which is verses 19 through 40. So let me read those. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab and his elder brother, his elder brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab was angry, or his anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way, and people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five stu- uh, smooth stones from the brook 
and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. All right, so what do we see in the second section? First, we see that David leaves the baggage to go to the fight. The only other time this word for baggage is used is when Saul hides behind the baggage, right? So David is going forth to the battle, and then we see he hears from everybody else the reward that's going to happen, right? If somebody kills the Philistine, here's all the things that Saul will give them. And all these other people are motivated by that greed. They're like, well, I'd like to have this daughter. I'd like to have all this land. But it's not enough for them, right? None of them go out. They still flee. And so what's David's response? Sure, he asks about the reward, but look what he says. These are the first words that David speaks in the Bible. He says, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So this king who fights for his people is motivated by love for God and love for his people. He's not motivated by things. He's not motivated by wealth. He's not motivated by power. He's motivated by love. And if that wasn't clear, look at what his brother said. His brother said, you're just here to watch the battle. You just want to see everybody fight. You don't want to get in it, right? That's not the case. David clearly wants to be a part of this. And his motivation is love for his God and for his people. And then we see David before Saul, right? Saul says, okay, you can go, but take all this heavy armor, right? You need all these things. And David says, no, God will protect me. He loves God and he loves his people. And that's what motivates him to go and fight Goliath. The king that fights for us is motivated by love for God and love for his people. Now, this past week was the 19th anniversary of September 11th. And one of the things that you might know is when the, when the World Trade Center was hit, people started fleeing, people started leaving in order to get to safety. But there was another group of people who actually went up the stairs. The first responders, the people who went to save other people, at the risk of their own life, went up the stairs. Now, why did they do it, right? It wasn't greed, it wasn't wealth, it wasn't power, it was love for other people. In the same way, the king puts his own life at risk, and he's motivated by love for God and love for his people. And now we come to the part of the story that you know best, right? Verses 41 through 54. Now, as I read this, the first couple of verses are going to reiterate the things we've heard, right? That this king is unexpected, and this king fights for love for God and love for his people, while Goliath fights for his own power and by his own power. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, 
David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way to Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Okay, so what do we see in this third section, right? All the things we've talked about come into focus. Goliath says, who are you? You're but a boy, right? He's an unexpected king. At the same time, David's motivations come back to the forefront. He's doing this for the honor of the living God and for the love of his people. While Goliath is relying on his sword and on his spear and on his javelin. And then we have this victory that's so small, right? It's such a long passage, and then the battle's over like that. It's so quick. So what this shows is that the king who fights for his people wins a very obvious and total victory and actually shows who the real God is, right? David says, you will die, and that will be evidence to who the real God is, who the living God is. And then what actually happens is, after he defeats Goliath, all the rest of the Israelites rise up and rout the Philistines. They've seen this champion defeated, and so they know they can rise up and they can be victorious. So we have this idea here of an obviously victorious king. The battle's in no doubt, right? right? The sling kills him, but if, if you're in any doubt, he cuts off his head and parades it around as if to say, this is clear evidence of who the living God is. All right. So we have an unexpected king who's motivated by love for his people and love for God and wins an obvious victory. But here's the problem. You and I can't step into those shoes. You and I can't be that king, right? We can't defeat the many things that we're facing. So what do we do? Are we sunk? Right? Well, David died. He's no longer with us. And we don't face, you know, a physical Goliath. So what do we do? We look at Jesus, the king of kings. The true David from the line of David, the unexpected king who took on the form of a servant, who took on flesh, who died a death that we thought, okay, you can't win a victory with a death, right? That doesn't make sense. You've got to fight, right? But he won a victory with his death. And he won a victory over the ultimate giant, death, the thing that we fear the most, he did away with. And he was motivated not by greed, not by power, but by love for his people and love for God. And he was obviously victorious because he didn't just die, but three days later he rose again from the dead. And because of his victory, the gospel is going, has gone forth, right? That's why we know about the gospel. Because when that victory happened, right, everybody started preaching the gospel and the gospel went forward. And so Jesus doesn't normally fit into the box that we would expect for a king, but neither did David. And the, and the victory he won, he won by the power of God, right? He's motivated by love. It's unexpected. And the thing is, he is there in the midst of the giants that we face, in the midst of the things going on. And the victory, the ultimate victory, has already been won. And so my encouragement to you all is, there will be times this week and this month and this year where things just weigh you down and they burden you. How am I going to get this project done? 
how am I going to talk to this person? Right? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And we can rest in the victory that God has won through Jesus. The victory is sure and certain, right? And so while we face things in life that are uncertain, we can rest in salvation by Christ alone. Your response to that problem isn't going to make you saved in God's sight or not, right? Your salvation is sure. But we can be strengthened by what God has done. If you think about it in this passage, all the Israelites are afraid, right? They're, they're fleeing. They're not facing Goliath. And then as soon as that victory is won, everything turns. They all rise up with a shout and pursue their, the Philistines, pursue their enemies. And that's our motivation, right? Our ultimate victory has been won by Christ. And so we rise up and we attack the problems that are going on in a way that we know victory is sure and certain because of what Jesus has done. And that's the victory that we can rest in. And so one of the things we do is we rest, right, on a Sunday, on a day like today. We rest not only from our work, but we rest in what Jesus has done for us, knowing that we can't add to that, and knowing that He's already won this great victory for us. And so that's the King we look to. That's the King we look to to fight our battles. That's who we pray to, this victorious and great King who's motivated by love for His people. Let me give you one last illustration of this type of love. I know many of you out there know the Harry Potter series well. Maybe you've read the books. Maybe you've seen the movies, right? Well, Harry is able to survive as a child, and years later he asks the question, why? Right? Why is he able to survive? It's because his mother sacrificed herself for him. It was because of her love that he was saved. This ultimate love, this self-sacrificial love that led to him eventually living. Right? This is the same thing magnified a hundredfold in what Christ has done. He's given his life so that we may live. It's this ultimate self-sacrificial love. And so when we look at the story of David and Goliath, we think about it and we say, okay, I can't fight these battles on my own. But Christ has won the victory and he's with me in whatever I'm facing. And so we can rest in that, rest in that unexpected king who loves God and who loves his people and who wins an ultimate and obvious victory. Jesus is the king who fights our battles for us. And we can rest in that victory that he's won this week, this month, this year, and for the rest of our lives. He is the king that we need. He is the king that fights our battles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can open up your word tonight. Thank you that we can gather, albeit outside in your creation with a lot of external noise, but thank you that your word is clear and your word is true. Lord, would you give us strength to see the victory that you won? And would you strengthen us in the middle of the battles that we face each and every day? Bless our time as we go and bless our small groups tonight. Amen.